Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the, six months of Eliz- in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The word of the Lord. The kids are invited to Kids Church with Emily. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your Lord word to me be fulfilled. Be fulfilled. S- brings us to the fourth Sunday in Advent season. Um, and, you know, as people uh, are apt to ask sometimes, you know, today could we have sung some Christmas songs? And yet uh, we will this evening sing Christmas songs as it is Christmas Eve. And then next Sunday as we practice this displacement in time that comes to the church season, is also a Christmas Sunday. And so while the rest of the world has moved on to New Year's and bowl games and all the other excitement that comes with that, the church inhabits that space and time again of singing the Christmas cheer. It's a short advertisement to come to church on December 31st uh, to sing more Christmas songs together. But more in that space, as we've been talking about, is how we displace ourselves in this time. Now, the church developed this season before um, the heavily sort of commercialized Christmas that we run through in modern America. But there's this idea in which we prepare ourselves for this feast that comes this evening. And we take time to go through the practices and space within the church. I'm, the world has, has gone on, and many of us, myself included, have found ourselves drawn into the light shows and the, the fun that comes with the holidays. But trying to prepare 
and to stay with the idea of, of within this place of how do we center ourselves on the expectation of what God is going to do in Jesus Christ. Now this Sunday, of all Sundays, it's perhaps the hardest because um, we're just right at the edge. We're right um, at, the, at the goal line of sort of moving into that. And so it's fitting, I think, this Sunday that we hear Mary's song and both Mary's annunciation is that we had heard long before in the first Sunday of Advent, what does it mean to keep watch from the grown Jesus for this second coming? Advent means this arrival, as we've talked about, and it's this arrival of the king coming again that is part of the Advent season. We don't just look backwards and position ourselves as Israel, but we look forwards in the hopes that God will come and renew all of creation, which is the true and proper sort of conclusion of the story that we're invited into in Jesus Christ. So that these things, this destruction and and disease and the ways in which we are fractured in the modern world might come to an end. In the second two Sundays, we heard from John the Baptist, which incidentally, Mary goes and meets uh, John the Baptist in, in utero <laughs> in between these scenes. So the Bible's always, or the lectionary has given us weird spaces and time. And we hear from John the Baptist how we might prepare our hearts for this. One of a quote I've been thinking of throughout the Easter season is this one from Martin Luther in which he says, it does no good to know that Christ was born in Bethlehem unless Christ can be born in you. Does no hope, does no good to know that Christ was born in Bethlehem than, uh, unless Christ can be born in you. Which I think about a lot often as we move through this Advent source of sort of those John the Baptist preparing the way and in Um, John's gospel last week, this way in which John reiterates, I am not he. Same way as we are not. So how do we prepare this space within us so that Christ, that faith, can be born and renewed within us during this season so that the light of Christmas Eve and the Christmas feast can shine all the brighter? How can we move into those spaces? Or in the words of Mary's um, song, which we read in place of the psalm this morning, which is because it sounds like a psalm. Um, but my soul magnifies the Lord, always raises for me the question, um, dear Christian, what does your soul magnify? Um, what is it that you make great? Because Mary's sort of statement there is, is my soul makes large the Lord. My soul sort of brings forth this, this um, expansion of the Lord. And yet oftentimes we can, we can close our souls down. They cannot make large the Lord. Or they make large other things. Um, make large having the perfect Christmas or having the perfect life or having um, health and safety for ourselves. Or they make large our political identities. Or they make large um, our depressions and our angsts. Um, there's another way in which we can make the Lord smaller. But Mary's pronouncement, my soul magnifies the Lord, raises the question for me of how can my soul magnify the Lord in this place? And that, I think, comes from having these four weeks of preparation. I think the way I've explained it, you might think sometimes, I think I need more than four weeks of preparation, (laughs) Um, or at least that's the way I feel sometimes, is that, is that to prepare myself, to make myself a place in which 
Christ can reside, and the truth of what's being done um, is magnified in my life, probably would take longer than four weeks. Um, Yet it's this way we're invited into that story. Like I said, this Sunday we sort of reached the last sort of stop on that journey because this evening we hear the famous and well-known passages from late Luke 2 in those days, the days of Caesar Augustus, who sent out the word for decree. The last night we'll hear um, of that rejoicing in heaven that comes with Christ's birth. Um, And it's these Sundays and times, both tonight and this morning, Easter is another one too, where I often think it's the job of the preacher to get out of the way. Um, There's enough within the stories as we read them and heard them, and I encourage you in in the next Christmas season, as as I've said before, the 12 days of Christmas, if you're familiar with that song, are the 12 days after Christmas. They're not the 12 days before Christmas. And so we have a 12-day feast coming. And it might be worth living into that 12-day feast, um, reflecting on this good news that we've heard, this good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ and the fulfillment that we await as well. And so we move into that season this evening, but we have this last stop upon the journey with Mary. Um, There's this, uh, I've been encouraging us to sort of take the the prayers from the Book of Common Prayer and taking them out during the week and placing them in our house. This week would be the shortest week for it, but this prayer, I think, reminds me so much of what um, we're talking about when we ask that our souls might magnify the Lord. Purify our conscience, Almighty God, by your daily visitation that your Son, Jesus Christ, at his coming may find in us a mansion prepared for himself. Um, so, you know, rip that out and place it someplace to be reminded of it in the next 12 hours. No, but uh, uh, as if you could just only pray that once. Um, but to purify ourselves and our conscience during this time. So that the visitation of our Lord, that there might be a mansion prepared for him inside our souls, inside our lives. But the quote on the back of the bulletin for this Sunday I wanted to hit in light of what we're talking about with Mary is um, from Pope Benedict, and I believe I have a slide for it. Um, I also have it memorized, but here it is. If Mary no longer finds a place in many theologies and ecclesiologies, the reason is obvious. They have reduced faith to an abstraction, and an abstraction does not need a mother. Mary no longer finds a place in many theologies and ecclesiologies. The reason is obvious. They've reduced faith to an abstraction, and an abstraction does not need a mother. The gospel for this morning reading that's, that began with, um, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, calls us into the world and time. There's nothing abstract about a pregnancy. Or in Luke 2, again, what we'll read this evening, in those days when Caesar Augustus issued a decree, There's no abstraction in these gospel stories. They're very rooted in God taking up space and time in the world. I think Pope Benedict here is not just criticizing the faith that other people might have, but he's saying the church, his own church and our church as well, has this tendency to reduce faith to an abstraction. And when it comes to being an abstraction, it no longer needs a mother 
It doesn't need to happen in certain days and times and places, the days of Caesar Augustus. It doesn't need to fulfill promises from long ago, which we heard in the Second Samuel reading. Faith becomes just believing good things about good people and good time. And yet what we find in the gospel story is the story of Christ coming into the world. Um, in C.S. Lewis's phrase, is this sort of secret invasion into the world to turn back the past the world have been on. There's no abstraction in the Christmas story. Um, and so to take a Sunday to think through this annunciation that Mary receives and her song is to bring about this way in which we see that this faith has a mother in some ways. Protestants um, have not done well on this. Um, and, and to be fair, you know, Mary's place in Luke's gospel is prominent, um, but not so in John or Matthew or Mark as well. I mean, yet here Luke draws us into the story of these two births, um, the one of John the Baptist, which that story precedes this one from Mary, um, and then follows it again, and this is the place in which she goes and sort of gives Mary's song. But before we get to um, Mary's portion of this, um, we had the reading from Second Samuel, and it's one of these things that I try to emphasize as much as I can during Advent season, is Christ doesn't come from nowhere. The story of Christianity doesn't begin in Luke 2. The story of what God is doing through the world stretches all the way back in time to the creation, knowingly in the stories of Noah, most particular in the calling of Abraham to make this people, in which we find the name of Israel, and then in the stories of that nation as it attempts to sort of be what God has called it to in the world and fails along the way as well. As I always try to say, so too for the church. We have the stories of which we have been called to be and the ways in which we fail along the way as well. And so in that, we hear it today when Mary has promised that this will be of David's line. Um, we were at a um, small group this week and somebody was like, what does that mean to us? You know, we're not particularly, I don't wake up in the morning or ever concerned particularly about my lineage, let alone David's lineage. Um, and yet there's this way in which Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise in which God has brought and wrought in the world. Um, and so as David becomes this king, in the words of Samuel, taken, um, it'll be a lot on this slide, um, but taken from tending a pasture to tending a flock to appointed to rule over the people, there's this way in which God has promised to fulfill in his lineage something. In the words of 2 Samuel that we read, um, there's this notion of house, and it's used several times. Now, house obviously literally means house. And what happens in this passage is David has finally sort of vanquished most of his enemies. He's brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. He um, then says to himself, um, I live in this nice house. Should the Ark of the Lord not live in a nice house like me? Which you can... You know, if you explain it that way, it begins to seem a little off, right? Like, shouldn't God just be like me to some degree is David's first thing. And the prophet um, in this passage, um, uh, the prophet Nathan in this passage sort of says, that sounds good. Um, you should build a nice house for the Lord. And that seems like something fitting as well, but it's 
The Lord who comes to Nathan in the night and says, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has said. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in the house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers who I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God here sort of rejects David's plan to build him a house. And in reversing that, God says to David is that I will build you a house. I will build you a lineage. And this lineage shall have sort of no end. And so when we find Mary, when we find Mary in the scene of the Annunciation, what has happened is that about 500 years before the Davidic lineage had sort of come to an end through its own failures, through its own corruption, through its own this. And so what does the promise mean? There were different ways Israel answered that and their faithfulness. But what's renewed when this angel Gabriel comes to Mary is he reminds her that this one whom is being born in her shall be the one who fulfills that Davidic promise. Jesus doesn't come from nowhere. The promises that he enacts and brings into the world are ones that were written long ago. And so in the scene, we find so many great and different things. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, if you're not following along in the Gospel of Luke, makes you go, who is Elizabeth? Um, luckily, in the previous scene, that was just answered, is that Elizabeth is this barren one with her husband, and they are near the temple in some ways. Um, and there the barren, as happens throughout the Old Testament, is made fertile again. That Elizabeth has been without child for years and years and years, and there God opens up a place for the barren to have child. If you're following along with the promises of old, this happens with Sarah and Abraham. This happens throughout different stories in the Old Testament that the barren is refreshed and new life comes. And this is where John the Baptist is coming and born of. And yet, in the sixth month of her pregnancy, God sent the angel again, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a small town in Galilee, to a virgin. If Advent, um, and if this thing Christ is doing is about this birth of a new age that God is going to do, John, as his forerunner, follows this pattern of barren transformed to fertile, Jesus then follows this pattern of virgin untouched, born. There's this transfix, uh, reversal of some sort that happens here with this new age. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what type of greeting this might be. Jesus good response to a greeting from an angel like that. Um, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Normally you would expect an interruption to come. The Lord is not with you. Um, And she ponders that greeting. One of my favorite parts of all these stories, and we'll talk about it tonight, is in Luke's gospel several times it says, and Mary pondered these things. Again, despite my efforts, this is where the preacher can get out of the way, is to say, As we read these things, how do we treasure them in our hearts and ponder these things? 
Mary's response is different than almost everybody else's, too, is that most people, the questions they ask back are more, God, this is impossible, but Mary's is more as, how will this be? It doesn't have the same ring as everyone else's. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, which is the Lord saves, is the meaning of the name. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end, fulfilling that promise we heard in 2 Samuel. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? It's a good question. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come over you and the power most high will overshadow you. And so the Holy One will be born, will God, the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who has been able to, un, unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word of God will ever fail. To hear that no word of God shall ever fail. Um, the uniqueness of what happens with Mary here, too, that word that, that she shall be overshadowed is only used once again in, in Luke's gospel when the sort of the Mount of the Transfiguration is overshadowed by a cloud as well. That Mary's overshadowing here um, prefigures the holy work of God in some ways. There's, there's a Catholic tradition interpretes her uh, in, interprets her sort of as the Ark of the Covenant in this scene. Um, and, and one of the reasons for that is she stays with Elizabeth for three months, and, and David has this three-month relation to the Ark of the Covenant in the scene we just read before. Um, David dances for joy um, as the Ark of the Covenant enters the city. Um, the Catholic interpretation says that John the Baptist leaping in the womb is the akin to David um, uh, dancing before the Ark of the Covenant. It's a beautiful interlaced interpretation with the Old Testament of who the Virgin Mary is. But this, for no word from God will ever fail, causes Mary to respond, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. After this, Mary runs off to the town to meet Elizabeth. We didn't read this short portion in between. Elizabeth sees her in a loud voice. She exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sounding of the greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb left for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary is first given the sign from the angel, and then she's given the sign from another person. And this is what opens up her mouth for her song. And then Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. My soul magnifies the Lord, as we previously talked about. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. To have our souls magnify the Lord and our spirits rejoice in the God, our Savior. She continues, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And then she goes into this litany of things that God has performed using the past tense. But they're the things we anticipate coming from Christ. 
Luke, in his writing, I think, has this beautiful way of when people are filled with the Spirit and when they're sort of given the vision of what the kingdom will be like, they talk about what God has done as if it's already been done. This, too, I believe can happen for the believer, is that we can be caught in worship and, and our souls magnifying the Lord so much that we see that the things that ail us will not last forever. The things that seem to have the final word in our world don't ultimately have that settled thing. He's performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary is able to see that what the proud and what the rich and what those who seem to be able to have control over the world are being reversed, and those who seem to have been left behind, abandoned, who are humble, are raised up. This goes back to, I think, last Sunday's sermon a little bit, and how can we become the people that this is good news for? I mean, so much of our world is saying, you need to become rich, you need to become proud, you need to become on top. Um, and yet, I think one of Luke's points about this, what theologians call in Luke sort of the preferential option for the poor, I don't think is a preferential option for the poor. It's a preferential option for whom, for those whom God has the space to do something for. It's a preferential option for those whom have the need and the space for God to do something for. We can build our lives and times in a place where we have no time or space or need for God to do something for us. There's this notion in which the gospel is one of my favorite definitions, is God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It's a nice saying, but then it leads to what is the definition of what I cannot do for myself? God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Mary's song calls us into figuring out what it is we might not be able to do for ourselves. And so we come to the end of this portion of the story as we await Christmas Eve tonight in which God does the thing in which we are not able to do for ourselves. He takes up residency in the world and his son, and through his ministry performs miracles and signs and teachings that point to the reversal that Mary sings of. Blindness is healed. Sickness is healed. And these are foretastes of the kingdom that we await in Advent as well, that future return of Christ coming amongst us again. Let us pray. God, you have drawn us into mysteries from of old. What you have promised David, what you've promised Abraham in those phrases, how your mercy extends from those places. God, call us in to the faith of Mary as well. For we are your servant. 
May it be done so according to your will. And may our souls, during this Christmas season, as we've prepared a space within our hearts, become those that magnify the Lord, your presence,